So this week we've got something a little bit different for you guys. Eric and I recorded a TikTok live the other day and we decided why not just give it out to you guys. I know a lot of people weren't able to stay for the whole thing. Some people weren't able to come in at all. So this is kind of a fun <laughs> behind the scenes look at how Eric and I talk all the time. And also it was a great time to answer some questions live as they were happening. Also forgive some weird audio. We did record this on a TikTok live and don't have as much control of it as we normally do. So if it's difficult, I apologize. So without further ado, this is Higher Practice TikTok Live Edition. figured it out um today's been wild has it yeah today's been wild it's been like a wild art day and like just like a wild day day um because it's what it's one o'clock and i had someone sent me with like really credible copying of like like a major artist is copying their work from like a smaller series and there's really nothing to be done and i feel really bad um because it's like, it's like a really clear, like the, she like worked for that artist and she was doing this like photography portrait series on the side. And then the artist is doing a series that looks exactly like it. And there's nothing to do. You can't do that. And then I had an, that auction thing. Do you see my auction video? When did you post it? This morning. Okay. Like literally like an hour ago. I only saw, I saw you walking summer, but then that was it. Some, some. Yeah, my new hike. But the, um, <clears throat> this artist, Matt Hope, that I worked with when I was at Ace Gallery. And so Matt had a piece in a charity auction on Artsy and it was going for like nothing. It was going for like $400. And I was like, I'm gonna try to get this. And I like budgeted it out. What can I do? And as it got to the, uh, the end, I was like, oh, this is, um, <clears throat> this is getting too close to my thing. And then like, it kept like me and like somebody else, like I would be winning and they'd be winning. And then finally I was just like, this is out of my, I can't, I can't afford this. And so the other person got it or whoever it was. And I was like, oh, bum, I really would have liked that piece. And I get a message in my Instagram and it's this guy I met when I worked at, at the gallery. He's like, you're the only person who's going to care. I just bought this Matt Hope. And I was like, I like sent him a screenshot of my text messages from Artsy where it's like, you've been outbid. You're the highest bidder. You've been outbid. I was like, Steve, I was like, you were going against me. <laughs> it was you and me. <laughs> and he's like, you owe me $1,100. I was like, if I give you $1,100, you have to give me the sculpture. And he's like, oh, no thanks. And I'm like, mm-hmm. So I was just like, this is so like wild. He's like, look what I got. And I'm like, God damn it. Of course it was. I should have known. I should have known it was you because he really likes yeah, Matt's I mean, work I don't too. think so. I mean, you know, you never really know who you're bidding against. I, I mean, I have no idea. Bidding. Like, what are the what are the chances? So, anywho. Um, okay, so I think we have some people here. Uh, I'm Alexis Hyde. I'm Erica Wong. And together we are Hyder Practice, uh, a podcast, and now a TikTok Live. So we are going to be taking questions, um, and we are going to be... Um, Hopefully, if we can figure out how to do this correctly, we'll be downloading this and actually resulting it into a podcast next week. So if you have to leave, don't worry. This will all be going somewhere. So all of our advice will be there. But yeah, we just kind of want to talk about some hot topics that we have been getting on TikTok and then answer you guys' questions live. So um, Erica, do you want to just start with the first question? 
Sure. I mean, somebody brought up a really good point asking the unionization. What are your opinions on unionizing big institutions? I mean, we've talked about that as well with Dana um, on one of our podcast episodes for the new museum, I think. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, she headed the new museum unionization. I... I'm, I'm learning that, like, as, I guess, a creative and also as an academic, I'm not very quick to go draw conclusions until I get a lot of information for me to be like, what is good? What is bad? Why yeah. this Why this matters in society? Who is this for? Who does this, like, work for? So for me, I, I think that there are a series of people who would benefit being uni- uni- unionized. And then there are other times when it's just sort of, I don't know. I feel like people just think it's like, oh, people don't really want to work. They just want all this benefit. You know what I mean? Like, it's like both sides of the conversation. It's so hard to say if it's good or if it's bad. It just sort of is one of those things that we've now come to the point where this is the conversation. Yeah. I am. Excuse me. I think I say I say fucking unionize everything. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, for me. Yeah, they probably will protect protect a couple of lazy people. But like also those people deserve jobs kind of, you know, like, I don't want them to not have benefits, because like, there's no way to collectively bargain with the higher ups who have nothing but like, you know, the, the inclination to not give people raises, not give people time off. And I think that we saw I think the, the thing that really made me think about this the most over the last couple of years is like, how many people were laid off during, you know, mm. like nothing during quarantine times for these museums and institutions like it's not realistic for every situation but some of these institutions are huge and you know without the people who are working the front desk and security and you know admin positions you know you don't have a museum you know and there's no protection and it's wild especially when they have these huge like major what's the word called that thing that like i hate so much when they've got all of the money in like one place endowment endowment um they've got all this endowment and they're like "Mm, we can't well we can't afford to keep these people on and i'm like what's the endowment for it's for like a rainy day like it's raining um but i feel like you know if you have the collective power uh where you know a lot of people just don't and it's hard to you know, the propaganda against unionization is really strong and it's really easy to keep people separated from organizing in a way that can benefit everyone because it obviously is not, not going to benefit the people at the top. And like at the end of the day, if a couple lazy people get swept up into it, then like, fine, I don't care. <laughs> like they also should have health care, especially like this is like such an American problem, too, because so much of our health care and like our benefits are attached to jobs. Like I think that like, yeah, like the lazy person who comes in late also deserves health care and like a roof over their head. So it's fine. You know, like all these museums, like it's not like a, a, a factory with like, you know, chopping parts where like your like people's like lives are at risk. It's like somebody's not there to pick up a shift um, or like they are not like great at like taking out the trash when you ask. So I feel like the stakes are so low if you do have somebody who's like a lazy person who gets caught up and like you can't get rid of them. Like worse things have happened. I just think I'm like, I'd rather everybody be protected than like not. So that's where I feel about that. I think it is true though. Maybe the, I probably have a little bit of a different take on the idea of unionizing just because in we don't have the same government structure as yeah, you do. So, exactly. So like that protection is 
I understand needing medical, needing dental, needing vision. Like, of course, I understand that. But I think that also the protection is just so different that I, it's just slightly more foreign to me to go and think, whatever. The only conversation that I consistently hear that people say about unionizing is, wow, do you know that they get hit so much? Like, their, their hourly rate is so high that you're like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know? Especially, I think, when you just see people standing around, like, those, the workers um, who do roadworks. They're just like, what do they do standing all day? But then you look at the other side of the conversation, and you're just like, it's probably not fun standing there, like, eight hours a day. No. Breathing in fumes. Fumes, and it's not safe, and it's not, you know, it's just, I don't know, I feel like everybody, um, everybody deserves, you know. And, like, so what if they get paid a lot? What if they get paid a hundred dollars an hour? Like, okay. <laughs> like, like, I think that's also like not an argument to me. Like, so what if they get paid like, um, and you know, too much, like whatever. Like I, and also at the same point, like I'm getting paid more than them. And like, I'm standing around sometimes, like sometimes I have nothing to do. Like sometimes I'm just waiting. Sometimes I have full days where I'm just like answering a couple of emails and a couple of calls. And like, there's just not going on for a full eight hours. And that's just, the nature of work like it's just okay like I can't be because then I feel like that really leads into this like major major like everything has to be like hyper productive all the time if somebody's not doing something that means that they're lazy it means that they're not working and like I get that that point of view because yeah from the outside it looks like nothing's like happening but you know there's like there's still like more and there's waiting and my voice just cracked like I'm 13 year old boy but I think that I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, again, like, I just like, so what if they're getting paid a lot of money? Like, I just feel like people deserve a living wage and like the way things are going in terms of costs and stuff, they deserve some protections um, because the way capitalism is flipped, especially I think in the last like 40 years, uh, we don't have that. Like there was a time, especially, and again, I'm speaking from like an American point of view. I feel like there was a time when people valued their employees because they knew without the employees, you wouldn't have a business. Um, and now it feels like profit reigns. And that's, uh, I'm not going to pretend like I don't also worship at the altar of capitalism sometimes. I like, I like money. I like stuff. You know, I like to be paid for what I'm doing. But I do think it gets to be, you know, like I just also would rather like, I just want people to get paid and be able to afford shit. But I think you, what you're saying is, Firstly, it is this idea of protection, which I don't think that people necessarily think about. That's not the first thing people think when they're like, someone's using a unionizing. Like, I, I don't know what the first thought usually is, but, but it's certainly not like everyone's coming together collectively for protection. It's probably for like something else. It's like capitalism. We don't, you don't like it. We love it. I, I don't know, like wherever it is that you stand on this topic, but Protection, I think, is a really big thing. And then compensation and then the relationship and how those things actually interwork with each other or how they don't interwork with each other. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're not protected, then what sort of relationship are you having with your coworkers? And then what type of relationship are you having with the organization that you work for or with? Yeah. That, and that's tough, right? Like people say, oh, you should love what you do, but like how, how many people like really love what they do, right? Or like- right. And like, also like, what if you want to have a job that like, you don't like want to have your passion be a job, you know, like that should also but you still want to be compensated. Yeah, exactly. So want to be compensated. So I don't know. I'm especially for like me, but I do think a lot of people do go into museum work, especially, you know, because they love it. 
they want to work at a museum, they want to be in a museum. And I think that, you know, it's hard for, especially when they're really young and especially when they're not, you know, this kind of, especially this like front facing, like staffed, you know, at, you know, taking the tickets and security guards, they're getting the brunt of a lot of, of the public. And it's, I mean, I say that as someone who has had to do that from, you know, because I'm like covering the desk because some like one of my employees was gone. Um, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard work. Uh, and it can be really exhausting. So I think that's where I stand, but I do, if you guys have had have any more questions about unionizing in museums, we have a great episode with Dana. So like, so one person just asked, um, a question is getting into a gallery impossible. If you're an extremely introverted person asking for a friend, totally. Um, I'm so introverted. Mm -hmm. It's like I am trained in a way. I think there's like the persona of who you are when you work and then who you are as a human being. Yeah. Like I can actually just not leave my house for days and days and days and don't speak to anybody. Like that is the level of how introverted I, I can be. And then and then when I lecture, you know, you're just super switched on and you put all your energy into that, whatever. Yeah. But I think that you need to, it depends on the role that you are getting in a gallery or what is it that you want, which, and also which organization, because not all of them are going to expect the same things, right? So if you're working for a small gallery, focusing on whether it's emerging artists or mid-career or whatever it is, versus... A blue chip, I mean, the expectation is just, like, black and white. It's just so different. So I think a lot of times it's knowing where you fit in. I think I think that the power of being introvert is amazing. Like, you think about things so differently. You solve problems very differently. So I definitely think that you can get into the gallery industry if you're very introverted. Agreed. And I will say that, like, if you're on the admin side, like on the working at a gallery side, um, it's, it's crazy. People don't realize, but I am also an introvert, but I have been trained to be public facing as not an introvert. And, um, but I, you know, people ask me to like do like more than one thing in a week. And I'm like, I, how dare you, you know, sorry, I froze for a second. Um, but it's, you know, you can kind of, there's ways to manage things, especially when you're dealing, you know, with the admin and like sales and like events, like it's very easy to manage as an introvert because a lot of times, especially at galleries and museums, it's really quiet. There's a lot of downtime. And so like when you do have an, like a, a time of like, I have to be active, I have to be using, expending this energy as uh, an employee, as a person, as a salesperson, as whatever, um, there's a lot of time to recover which is really nice. Um, and I think the same goes for an artist too. Like even if you're an introverted artist, um, you might have to do a little bit more prep, a little bit more emailing to, because you might not want to be networking in person as much, which we've talked about like extensively about how important that is. Um, you might have to do a little bit more emailing, a little bit more texting, a little bit more social media interaction. But again, um, and yeah, there will be times when the outputs, you know, you have to prepare for it. You're going to have a studio visit. You're going to have an opening. You're going to have, you know, whatever those things are, but you can plan for it. You can prepare for it. Um, and networking can be really easy for an introvert when you go to galleries and off times, like if you can make it into like on like a Wednesday at five, there's no one there. So you're not having to deal with like a lot of people. But either. I think, see, that's tricky, right? Because yeah. that goes to, well, what's your end goal? And I just made right. a video about that maybe yesterday 
or I don't actually really know. I don't know what day it is every day, but it's like, what do you want out of these? And I, I always say things are a relationship because they are a relationship. Yeah. You're establishing a new relationship, maybe with a gallery or with a new client or with a new curator, whatever it is that you're trying or you're sustaining a relationship with somebody. So if you go on, if you are showing up, to an exhibition on a Wednesday mm -hmm. afternoon morning. I, I have a tendency to do things Monday morning at 10. I find that it's like no one's there because everyone's at work. Um, however, if you want to go and email somebody Monday morning at like 9.30, that's the time to start emailing people. Yep. But if you want no one at a gallery then it, or a museum, it would be Monday morning at 10. Yeah. Um, but like, what do you want out of that? Because if you want to be networking with I don't know who and you do the due diligence of showing up at an opening what do you do you know what I mean like do you it, like the choice is you either show up at the very beginning so that there's like maybe not everybody has shown up yet and you're not super overwhelmed or you stay till the end what a lot of people have also left right like if you're very introverted and you don't necessarily feel comfortable with having to deal with a lot of people yeah going right in the middle might be so overwhelming you know even if no one is speaking with you I think that's like the other thing it's no one's speaking with you and you're like but no one's speaking with me and then if everyone's speaking to you then you're just like oh my god there's like too much I'm so I'm so overwhelmed like you, you know pick and choose when you want to show up that is comfortable for you at the very beginning maybe you get to actually speak with the artist then you get to network and have something that's a little bit more intimate or you get to have the conversation with the curator or the director or whatever or at the very end, everyone's really tired, but you might get invited to the dinner. Yeah. So it's like, pick yeah. and choose. You have to like, wait, wait it. And like, after you say your highs, you can bounce. You don't mm. have to stay. Like, if you like, say some highs, you press a palm or two, you know, your face is seen, you can leave. Um, it doesn't have to be a two hour, just because the opening's from six to nine doesn't mean you have to be there for three hours at all. I can't tell you how many times I have run in and run out, said hi, showed my face. And that's all that mattered. Because then it's just like in their subconscious, it's like, Alexis was here. She supported. I like her. And then on to the next thing that they've got to do. But also when you do that, you can also follow up. Yeah. Because a lot of people also are like, oh, so if I'm not at a local gallery or this isn't like my local art community, but I want to go and establish a new community. How do I do that? And it's like, you show up by seeing the work online and then you can go and follow up with whoever it is. Maybe not like the dealer, maybe with the curator again, but it depends on what you want out of the relationship. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Are you, is your end goal trying to get a studio visit? But like, for what reason? I think people don't necessarily always think about that. It's like you get a studio visit and then what? I mean, I think in general, most most of the artists, I feel like, who ask us this question, their end goal is they want a gallery show, they want a representation, and they need to figure out how to get a uh, get a that started. Sure, and I totally understand that. And then I would follow up that with, it takes quite a long time to establish that relationship. It probably you're looking at a solid at least six to twelve months in order for that to happen. And the reason for that is because curators have to go and program their things their shows many shows in advance it's not like a oh it's oh it's june 2nd oh yeah i'm gonna put on a show on like june 15th like nobody works like that right because you yeah. need to get people to come and you need to get the work to show up and then you there's so many logistic things that 
you can't just make a show happen like out of nowhere that programming doesn't logistically and operationally it's not feasible so so there's it's not a race you know you're not like sprinting you're like oh my god i have to go and see this person and they're gonna give me a show like it does it doesn't it doesn't work like that in terms of timeline i think it's also important to know that type of you're managing your expectations. That's really, I think that's a really big thing that we should talk about more just in general, like all the time that like, just because you meet someone and they like you, you've got to manage your expectations because it's not just like that. It's never been like, I like you. Here's gallery representation. You've got a solo show. It's never that. And I've talked to so many gallery, you know, directors and people about this where it's like, they'll do a studio visit. They'll try to see, they'll get an idea of what your work is. They'll want to come back later see are you still on the same path are you growing or are you not yeah. are you consistent um and then they'll put you in a group show maybe that might be six or eight months down the line because there's other things that have been in line ahead of time and then when you go to the show in eight months and you're in the in the group show when they asked you for images by tuesday did you get them to them by tuesday did you show up on wednesday for the install when they asked you to were you you know polite and nice and personable at the opening and they felt like you represented the gallery and the show well are you somebody that they want to work with again um and then maybe there's another group show and maybe it does fit in the programming maybe it doesn't but then they're also like hey i mean this is ha this happened to me yesterday i was talking to a dealer who's our gallery director who was asking me about artists and i was like um i don't know where these people fit on your program but take them take a look at them they're all deeply professional and i would feel i i can recommend them wholeheartedly knowing that they will do whatever you ask them to do and they'll be able to email, you know, be a really good representation for your gallery. Like take a look. Um, you know, maybe it's not fitting for like what I'm doing right now, but like, this is somebody that like I, I would support. I'll put my name behind that because not every gallery and we have talked about this before is a fit for every artist. Yeah. Same thing totally. with, with, with uh, we've got a question about grants also, which we, we'll get into after this, but they, like not every grants for every artist, not everything. Yeah. And that's good. The same way that like every clothing store isn't selling the same stuff. You know, you go into uh, REI looking for one kind of clothes and you go into a Nordstrom looking for a different kind of clothes. And like sometimes there's stores that have more stuff like a Target, but sometimes it's really specific and it's only hats and that's all normal and fine. But you can't expect to go into a hat store asking for shoes. Um, and it goes the same with like... You can't? <laughs> I mean, you can. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> it's not going to be well. <laughs> What do you mean? Why can't you do that? Why can't you do no, that? but I do think it. Yeah, I I think that it's really useful to go and lay out some of these foundations, just because if your expectation or what you think the industry is like and what it realistically is like is probably wildly different, because you didn't realize that a curator has to go and program shows like maybe twelve months in advance, and therefore allows for them to go and logistically get the work at the place, the artist at the place at that specific time right so you know that is really important to go and manage expectations and and everything else in order for a show to magically happen yeah but also just because you don't you've submitted something you haven't heard back it also doesn't mean that if your work is very very interesting i'm sure the person is going to go and be, file that in their head somewhere and you might actually get a show that's based on what you do, but then the curator will explore, expand on top of that and make that into a full group show based on something that you do that they really liked or thought that there was a lot of potential in. 
Yeah. Or they might have a friend who's a curator whose work aligns more like it. And they'll be like, Hey, check this artist out. Like this is, I mean, that's people are always talking like, who are you excited about? What are you seeing out there? What are you, you know, what's an artist? Like I'm looking for artists who are working in like, I'm looking for female abstract painters. Do you know anybody? I mean, that's a question was asked me two weeks ago and I'm like, yeah, here's five I've got that I like. Um, again, like this art, this director last night, like we're looking for people whose work looks like this. And I'm like, all right, these are people I like and they're really professional. I don't know how, like you go through and see what you think. Um, and, but it is, it's all networking. It does not have to, you know, back to the intro for a person, it doesn't all have to be in person. Um, and when you can prepare for stuff like that could be really helpful and you can prepare things like having questions ahead of time, follow up email drafts that you want, you can just send without thinking about, um, times to go see people when there's nobody there or like at the beginning of an opening when they're at the end, when everything's like winding up, it's just, it's good. Um, and then some, but in terms of like looking for things that fit, cause I think that all artists, like not all artists, I think a lot of artists just think that like all galleries just sell art. And while that's true, everybody's kind of, you know, there's galleries that just sell glasswork and there's art galleries that only sell things that were before 1990. And there's galleries that only sell painting mm. figurative. Um, so, and the reason know, for that is because, galleries curators dealers collectors they aren't jack of all trades they can't they can't be there it's not a Too department much. store that has a little bit of everything everybody has what they specialize in or if that's not a word that particularly works with you but it's something that they're interested in so there are going to be curators who are more interested in emerging artists and then it filters down it might be female artists it might be sculptors it might be ceramicists like and and that's the reasoning why there are so many different segments in the industry it's not it's a very large industry with a lot of segments I just got a wild email. Um, but no, there are a lot and it's, and it's, and that goes into, I'm going to lead into the question about the grants. Like where can we find grants? It's the same thing with grants and it's the same thing with like residencies and call for artists. Everything's specific mostly for a reason because whoever's on the other receiving end, who's hosting it, who's giving out the money, who's giving the residency, who's putting on a show, they're looking for something in particular. Um, and again, to beat a dead horse like if they're asking for white t-shirts I don't think that because I'm wearing one um and you like come in with like roller skates they're gonna be like I don't like these are nice I have no use for roller skates right now um and it just so it just doesn't waste your time it doesn't waste their time and it's and that's great so when you're looking at we did a really good pod with Natalie Quagliato of the pilot art list a couple episodes ago on Hyder Practice if you're on TikTok here and you haven't seen our uh to our podcast. If you are listening to this on the podcast, then hi. And you haven't listened to the Natalie episode, go back a couple episodes. And she runs a um, sliding scale uh, email list of like really deeply comprehensive calls for artists, grants, and um, and residencies. And they're all, it's all completely like, she's like vetting them all. She's making sure that it's worth your time. Um, and they, they're specific. And she also, she like color codes them. So you know, which one's for women and which one's for glass blowers and so on and so forth. It's really extensive. It's really incredible. Um, but she's, you know, I believe her advice too, was just like, make sure that like you fit the call, um, because it's hard to like get something and then not leave a bad taste in someone's mouth when it's like, oh, like I didn't, asked for this. Like, I'm sure you're a wonderful artist and maybe I would have in another encounter been like interested in working with you, but like, 
you didn't read directions. And I don't know how to deal with that because it's, it just becomes, it becomes really difficult on the person who's trying to create the opportunity. And it takes up a lot of their time and their resources. I think that's what I, I would say, like as a person and just going into some grading now and a lot of times, like I read these essays and I'm like, I don't, know what to do with this information like yeah. you the student has presented me with so many information and I'm like I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this because you didn't quite answer the question and when you don't answer the question I can't award you the point yeah and that goes for the exact same thing it just it requires so much of someone's time when you didn't fit what you've submitted based on their expectation and it has nothing to do with oh you're so difficult why do you have so many guidelines whatever but it's like everybody has to operate within some framework and so the structure is set up so then everything makes sense for whether the person who is receiving it or whether someone is submitting something because if there weren't guidelines and it just says Submit whatever it is that you want. It would be equally as frustrating because people would be like, okay, so what do you want then? Yeah, exactly. And like all the time. Yeah, because then you'd be like, so what do you want from me? And the face that I always say, like you're trying to avoid this face of, what? What? What What do you want from me? Right? Like you're trying really hard to avoid that. Like, and if you, and if that is the reaction that you receive, when you're reading something, just remember that. Like, if you don't like it or you think that somebody's wasting your time, then you don't want to be wasting other people's time as well. Because, again, it comes down to this relationship that you are building with somebody else. Yeah. And just because they don't like your work that time doesn't mean that you don't have an opportunity. Like, that's another thing as well. Oh, yeah. No. Because, I mean, as somebody who's, I've seen, um, worked with, a co- you know, besides my own residency that I'm running, you know, I see other people who've done call for artists and things and it didn't fit exactly in what they've found for them, but then they've used them in the future. They've recommended them in the future. They send out the stuff They are, You know, people are all like, the thing is, is I feel like I get that, like hearing someone say, follow the directions can feel really prohibitive and like a little bit scolding. Um, some bad memories from like third grade or sophomore year in high school. Like I get it. Um, but you are, and this is what like Erica always says, like, it's just, everyone's just humans. And, you know, it's just like, everyone only has so much time and there's a lot of work and everyone's underfunded and they're trying as hard as they can to get through as much as they can in the most efficient, comprehensive way that they can. And if they've got 250 submissions, and this is just like basic math, like say like it's someone, you want someone to spend time, right? You want someone to, you don't want someone to open your submission and close it. Um, so if it's unorganized and it doesn't match what everything else is and they're, they're searching to find what they asked for or what your artist statement is or an image that makes sense in like what the context of your work, like if they're spending 25 minutes you know, searching an email for a submission, um, or like having to write back and forth in emails because you're not reading the email or you're not like answering the questions like correctly. And you think that someone's saying something and instead of asking for clarification, you just kind of go with what you want to talk about. Um, you can't spend 25 minutes per 250 submissions. That's 5,000 minutes. 
right? Is that math right? I feel like that math's right. I don't know. But um, I 100%, yeah, no, for sure. You just don't have that amount of time. It's, nobody has that kind of time. And it's not fair to the other artists either. Um, so lines have to be drawn. Boundaries have to be set. And yeah, again, I wish I had unlimited time and unlimited, you know, you know, time and money to be able to look over everything for hours, but I, I don't. Um, so I have to come up with, you know, guardrails to be like, this is what, this is what I'm asking for. I like PDF. Some people like links. Some people like 500 words. Some people like 250 words, but there's a reason. And it's so they can also, because this is what Eric is also saying, you know, like, what do you want to say about your work? How do you, you want to present it? Yes. But also someone is literally giving you how they want to receive and how they best interpret information on a silver platter. You know, like if I'm telling you I need 10 images in a PDF and you send me 10 loose JPEGs with like no names and it's like one, two, seven, four, 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 five TIFF. I don't know how to do that, but I do know how to, you know, like I can, I can quickly and, you know, comprehensively get through your information when I asked you how to do something, do something in one specific way. Um, and people are like, yes, but we're creative. Absolutely. You can be creative in the work. You can't be creative and loose in the communication because you can't count on somebody else to be understanding what you are saying. And do you want to risk someone misunderstanding your work? Do you want to risk someone because that, like, misunderstanding? You're not showing up for yourself at that point, right? Exactly. I think that's like a really, I don't think anyone phrases it that way, but when you aren't abiding to the formatting and formatting is there for a reason. If you go into a museum or a gallery and it's not the standard formatting, what would you think? Would you be like, oh, something, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, why, why does it look like this? It's like, oh, there's something that's missing because we're so used to the way the standards of how information is presented. And so everybody is following that guide. So it becomes easy to, to read, you, you know, the title, you know, the materials, you know, when it was created, right? Like this is the basic of how you go and put the information there so people can read that. But if that information wasn't there, or if you walk into a show and there was no literature for you to go and read, like whether you pick up the, the paper or read the wall or whatever. I mean, that's up to you. But if it wasn't there, wouldn't you also be like, where's something missing here? Yeah. Like why, where, where did that go? And it's almost as if like, you didn't show up for yourself. You didn't give yourself that chance to go and tell other people what it is that you want to do and what you're trying to communicate before they go and interpret what they are seeing. And I think that, we want people to, you don't have to like the work because, you know, everybody's different, but I would at least want the opportunity to go and be like, this is what I do. This is why I do it. This is how I do it. So, you know, like sort of level that playing field a little bit that before, and a lot of artists actually have changed my mind. I didn't like their work. I went in and I sat in on like lectures or whatever it is that they were talking about the work and what I thought the work was seeing in my eyes and what they were wildly different and completely alters the way that I therefore will associate their work. So no, you're exactly. giving yourself that chance, right? Like it's the clarification. Yeah. It is. And I will also say this, you know, if you are looking at a submission and it feels really prohibited, very difficult, like a lot of confusion, um, most 
places that you'd want to work with anyway are really receptive to like helping, you know, mm. if someone's like confused, like, Hey, this didn't make sense to me. What's this? You know, most people want people to, ha you know, they, as someone who's like on a jury or getting submissions, you know, you want to have the best possible, you know, people you want to, you want to make sure that you're like looking at, you know, everything. Um, so like, it's very, uh, easy. Um, you know, or not very easy, but it's very, um, it's, it's, if you reach out, I'd say eight times out of 10, you'll get a response. I'm not going to say every time because that's silly, but most of the time I would. Um, there also might be a really de big delay. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that you email somebody and then five minutes later they'll get back to you, but probably in like two weeks, if you don't hear back, follow up, but like probably people are busy and they'll get back to you at some point. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I just got another question, Boz Talk, who just came on, how to deal with finding new representation after a gallery closed. Um, we have said it before, we'll say it again, just it's networking and outreach. That's it. Um, it's just networking and outreach making sure she's got the information, all of her CV stuffs together, images, and then sending that back out. Um, and then one last question we got was um, procuring sponsorship for a, a show. Um, that is interesting because it can kind of go a lot of different ways. Um, but I would think that like, you know, from, but it's all pretty much again, the same thing. It's, you know, making sure you've got a clear, uh, concise, like, what are you saying about the work? What are you saying about the show? And I think this goes to like getting like an alcohol sponsor to like an actual, like a corporate sponsor for like a grant. Like you've got to have all of the information, make it as frictionless as possible. Um, so they can have, so they have any questions. Who is this person? Oh, look, here's the bio. Oh, like what's this made out of? Like, why would I be interested? Oh, look, here's an explanation of like why I would be interested. And like, you know, again, that can be like, giving you $10,000 or it can be giving you 10 cases of beer. Um, but like having everything be like, Hey, this is what it is. This is who we're expecting. This is the location. This is who we are. This is the work. Having all of that in like as a concise package as possible is the best way to get sponsorship. Um, and also in my other tip on that is see who's sponsored things other, you know, before that, like, you know, like who did, did this company, sponsor something for this nonprofit or have you seen them in the arts before um, or in like any of those spaces and they'll usually be more receptive uh, again. And um, Hussam Art asks, anything, any thoughts on NFTs? And my answer is, yeah, I do. I have thoughts on NFTs. I have many actually. I have a lot. <laughs> Go on. Uh, Go ahead. Oh no, I'm not going to get into it. Um, but I will, I will direct you. We have a whole episode on NFTs with, um, oh my God, with Clara. Clara. Uh, was that season five, season four? It's good. It's like an hour and a half. Also, I will direct you to an episode of Law Disrupted that I produced with uh, John Quinn, who's a lawyer, and Joe Haig, who is the guy who's in charge of Damien Hurst's currency. Um, and I would say go listen to that because it's a really good, it's a really good listen about uh, NFTs. Um, and another question, how I've started a business on digitally archiving for artists who have worked before the digital age. Any suggestions on how to reach out to artists? Yes. This goes into cold emailing. Um, it is keep it short and sweet. First sentence, opening sentence, something about the artist. 
stroke the ego. Hey, I saw your show here. I love your work. Uh, your This series was incredibly formative to me. Quick intro of who you are. I'm, you know, I'm Stella. I've just started a business digitally archiving art for artists who have worked before the digital age. Uh, these are the services I offered. Do you have time? And then, then the ask. Step three, a hard ask. Give me a time. Like, do you have time next Wednesday to talk about this? Not, don't leave it open-ended. Is this something you're interested in? Would you like to talk about it? It is so easy to ignore an open-ended question. It is very hard to ignore, and this is just human nature, a direct question. Do you have time next Thursday to talk about this? Because then I'm going to be like, oh, well, no, I don't have time on Thursday, but I have time on Friday. Um, but it just gets to it like just so much quicker and I'm all you know and then like maybe a PS I have more information available give them a link or a PDF something really easy and comprehensive not really long don't give them like your full whole history you just want a quick elevator pitch basically that's about how much time we have now on emails elevator pitch after you stroke their ego and then you will um and then you'll have the highest rate of getting um getting an artist to respond Erica, do you have any advice? Be nice. <laughs> I would probably be nice. I would say, I would add in how your services would benefit this person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I talk about this, like this XYZ method a lot. And what is it that you do? Why do you do it? And how do you do it? The other person needs to understand how you can help them and how they can help you. So you're digitizing something. Well, why do they need that from you? How does that benefit their archives? And that becomes really, because like a lot of times people don't ever think about this until, until they do think about it and then panic, right? Where am I going to find this person? Exactly. I need someone to go and help me do this. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Back to that face again of now what? Yeah. Now what? <laughs> No, exactly. Now what? And what's really great too about having those things be comprehensive and why it's going to benefit. Maybe the person doesn't need it. Maybe they already have someone, um, but maybe they know three other artists who need that. Also, uh, you know, if you reach out to any galleries who are dealing with artists who have those kinds of practices, that might be an easy way to also kind of spread out. Like if you're offering artist services, um, that you that are kind that are not gallery oriented. Like if we're talking about archiving or admin or you know production, those kinds of things. If you reach out to some galleries who are working with artists who might have, who might need those kinds of resources. Obviously not like the big big dogs, but like smaller to mid sized galleries. Um, we're talking like you know fifty thousand dollar pieces of art and under. Um, you can reach out because there's a chance that they need to try to, they're getting their artists to places where they the artists do need to start leveling up and thinking about this and. That can also be a really great repeat business situation. Like I know I was working with a printer for a long time and out of Europe and I was helping them with some business development and, and uh, in the States. And it was great because I would just, I could reach out to um, photo agents and photo galleries and be like, hey, like basically it's like a full sweep. This is what we're doing. And I'm hitting like 10 artists at a time. And then also the artists are like, oh, this has been vouched. So. That's my tips. Another place to really, because we're in June, so a lot, so there are students now who are finishing their degree, they're graduating, and this might be something that they've never considered before. So what, it's really important to archive your portfolio every yes. step of the way, because people want to see how yeah. you've grown over time. Mm -hmm. And starting, I mean, I always, I always, I think that 
archiving something by the time you're graduating is a little late because you also want to see the formative years of like how you developed or acquired knowledge and skills through art school or however you started your practice. So I would also consider going to graduating students. I would consider going to art schools and suggesting that this is something that you can offer. I don't really know how receptive art schools may, may or may not be, but I definitely think that going to directly speaking with students, looking at, looking on, I think group shows probably are online. You can probably find artists at degree shows, which are listed online and then go from there as well. So you're really opening up that opportunity for yourself, but you're not really necessarily only targeting artists who are currently showing, but also you're establishing that relationship very early on with artists and art schools. No, for sure. Um, that can be really helpful. And sometimes it can help to, you know, yeah, they'll have the thesis shows and sometimes there are some, some of the, the schools that are better, they'll have like more like professional practices, services. Um, sometimes you can find those people listed on the websites. Um, and a lot of times you can email them directly as well. So, um, guys, thanks. You gotta go back and answer emails and do uh, regular work. <laughs> it's like, gonna be fun. Um, but y'all are amazing. And Erica, uh, should we do this again soon? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. All right. Uh, until next time. Bye. Bye.